It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are the Next Best Picture team's interviews with the behind-the-scenes team on Emerald Fennell's film, Promising Young Woman, for your consideration in all categories. First up, we have Nicole Ackman talking with the film's costume designer, Nancy Steiner, followed by Daniel Howitt's interview with the cinematographer, Benjamin Kraken. Then we have Dan Baer's Baer's interview with the production designer, Michael Perry. And finally, Will Mavity's interview with the makeup and hair team, Daniel Curit and Angie Wells. We hope you enjoyed this behind-the-scenes look at Promising Young Woman. Good God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. It was a perverted thing to say. You'd think you'd learn by that age, right? Please lay down. What are you doing? It's okay, you're safe. What are you doing? Hey, I said, what are you doing? Welcome, everyone, to the Next Best Picture podcast. Today, I'm talking to Nancy Steiner, the costume designer for Promising Young Woman. So first of all, I just want to say that your work on this film is absolutely incredible. I truly think about the outfits from this movie all the time. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, what a, what a lovely thing. Thank you. I'm glad it, <laughs> it stays with you. <laughs> absolutely. And I think part of that is that, obviously, we see the character of Cassie sort of play a lot of different roles and I would love to hear you talk about you know sort of how you helped achieve that through the costuming. Sure I mean um, I think this film is a lot about the roles uh, that Cassie plays in as uh, in her life and in her mission uh, to get revenge on these men. Um, She dresses up in different costumes to go out at night and, you know, reveal these nice guys and what they really are. Um, but as well, she, she wears costumes as well in her day life or her real life, which are also to, um, to have a facade around her that, that protects her and, and, and keeps her from, having to answer questions about herself or anything. Um, I think the costumes that she wears in her quote unquote real life are, you know, these sweet, soft, pastel, uh, lovely, fluffy, feminine things that um, are basically covering up her suffering and, and pain. Uh, And um, so it's, it's, it's also a costume in that way. Absolutely. One thing that I really think is fascinating is how it feels like she sort of blends into her setting mm. no matter where she is. Was that something that you worked with the mm. production designer on? Yes, we did. Um, it, was, it was all about this pastel world uh, in, in the daytime and, and having the cafe be 
kind of comforting and soft. Um, and even at home, you know, there's a lot of pink. And so, yes, we did work together on that. I think, you know, you've talked about the use of color is really interesting in this movie. And obviously we have a lot of pastels sort of in her daytime life. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the use of color in sort of the other scenes as well. Sure. I mean, I think that the other scenes, uh, again, she is dressed for the environment that she's going to be in. Uh, The first time we see her is in a business bar after after work hours guys come in to have a drink after work and so she's she's actually in you know a stark black and white suit which just you know is very common um in in the scene when she's sitting on this red booth it just stands out and it's pronounced and it's it's obvious um and then you know in the other environments She's basically dressing to fit in with the clientele there. Um, I think, you know, the colors were not as particular then, but, um, you know, when she goes to the, uh, the, the bar where she's wearing the strapless dress, it was kind of about, you know, this dressed up kind of tacky, look uh in going into this bar um i kind of i like to say euro trashy kind of environment um and then you know when she goes to meet the dean again she's kind of in this professional black and white just very straightforward business attire to um you know to come off as a professional Absolutely. And so in putting together the sort of pastel aesthetic for, you know, the other parts, the parts where we sort of see her going about her daily life, what was sort of the motivation there for doing that very um, pastel, uh, almost a youthful feeling Mm -hmm. uh, aesthetic? Well, the the directive really came from Emerald and um, Emerald just wanted everything to be those soft pastel-y colors. And so that's really where it all came from. Um, you know, both uh, Michael, the production designer, and I were given that directive and, you know, we just ran with it. I think that's Emerald's, Emerald's taste, you know? That's what mm-hmm. she wanted. Yeah. So I also wanted to know, how many of the costumes in this film were things that you, you know, originally designed and made versus how much of this were you able to source? The only costume that we actually made in the end was the nurse's costume at the end. Um, Everything else was sourced from, you know, shops to costume houses to vintage stores. Um, A lot of the things she's wearing are vintage, but um, not in a, you know, obvious way. Um, I always like to incorporate some vintage in my contemporary clothing. Um, you know, if it's appropriate for the character, I, cause I think people do dress that way. You know, they, we wear, we wear vintage with, with contemporary clothing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, 
that's how I went about it. Yeah. It was a very short prep and we just, (laughs) we just did it as quickly as we could. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned that nurse costume because obviously I feel like we have to talk about that. What was sort of the process of designing that, the, the, you know, the thought process behind it? Well, it's in the script that she wears a naughty nurse costume. Um, These guys were, you know, uh, in the medical profession, she went to med school with them. And so it kind of felt appropriate for his, uh, bachelor party to have the naughty nurse there. Um, I basically just looked around online at all these different kind of tacky nurse costumes and came up with that to piece together things that I had seen. And we made it to our specifications with the zipper in the front. And, you know, a little bit longer sleeve and I made the little headdress, headband, <laughs> you know, fit, so it fit Carrie perfectly. Yeah, it, it's such a striking costume. It feels like one of those that, you know, will be iconic for years to come. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> Amazing. So is there anything about working on Promising Young Woman that sort of has stood out from other films that you've designed for? Well, the fact that the screenwriter and the producer and director were a woman, that stood out to me. Um, I loved this script when I read it, when I first read it. And um, I thought that this story has never been told before this way from a female's perspective. And that was really exciting to me that I wanted to be a part of that storytelling you know, it's, it's something that uh, I think every woman has dealt with some kind of impropriety. And, you know, um, we are now talking about these things in, in public and not holding back. And, you know, it's about time and it's, it's still going to take time. But I do think these things have to be spoken of and we have to address what's been going on for centuries with women being taken advantage of. Absolutely. So obviously we've talked a lot about Cassie's costumes, but um, I would also love to hear, you know, about sort of the way that you went about dressing these guys who are supposed to sort of epitomize this whole nice guy stereotype. Um, right. And what sort of choices went into that? Well, uh, For instance, for Ryan, I wanted him to be very approachable, guy next door, cute, nice colors, nice cuddly sweaters, just someone that, you know, is attractive and um, non-threatening. And the same with the other guys, you know, it's, you know, you don't dress like an evil person or you don't dress (laughs) different because of your behavior necessarily so these are just regular guys that everybody knows and um you know we we all know them and they're out there and they think they're nice guys but they don't realize that what they're doing is not cool so i just wanted them to be very approachable absolutely i think that definitely (laughs) 
comes through. And I think one of the nice things about the movie is how um, realistic everything feels, particularly in the costuming. Like even Mm. with the scene on the school campus, it feels like Mm -hmm. actual, you know, women who are in school Mm -hmm. dress. Yeah. I mean, my work, um, if you, you know, know my work, I'm, Mm -hmm. I I do a lot of um, things that are based in reality. And therefore I think it's really um, important to not distract from what's going on in, in a way that takes you out of the story. My, you know, in contemporary clothing, you know, the best compliment I can get in a way is that people don't notice because it just serves the story and it's not glaring, you know, unless it's meant to be glaring like the nurse's dress, but Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think, um, reality is I'm very realistically based in my in my design and I think a lot about how people it's a psychological um study you know how I dress people how a costume designer would dress someone it's really thinking about their behavior their relationship to clothing um you know all of that goes into what I think they should be wearing Absolutely. Well, to finish up, I wanted to ask, other than obviously the nurse dress, which is, you know, sort of the most standout piece, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite look for any character that you created for this film? You know, I, I've been asked that. And I have to say, I mean, I really just love all of, all of it together. Um, you know, there, I like in the pharmacy that she starts to wear brighter colors once she kind of gives in to loving Ryan and kind of lets her guard down. She starts wearing a little bit brighter clothes. And I do like that little costume. It's a little 60s sweater and top. And I also, one of my favorite things, I guess, is the, there's a pink sweater with like white uh, detail at the top that kind of looks like puffy clouds. And I love that. That's an 80s sweater that I found. That's amazing. Well, I know I personally now, whenever I'm like looking at clothes, I'm like, I need to find clothes like she has. <laughs> oh my God. That's, that's so great. What a compliment. <laughs> I literally bought a, a t-shirt with a little floral print on it recently because I was like, this feels like her wardrobe. So. Oh my God. Wow, Nicole. <laughs> what, what a great um, compliment. That's great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Obviously, this is a reminder to anyone listening that if they've not seen the film yet, they definitely need to. It's, it's, such a a great thing to uh, have costumes like this that really help build the characters uh, in the film like they do in this one. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, your interest in the film and your interest in my work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and uh, have a great rest of your day. You too, Nicole. Take care. Bye. Bye. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? Hey, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with me this morning about your work in Promising Young Woman. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, Ben, first, I'd love to know about how you came to this project. What, what made you want to shoot Promising Young Moon? 
Uh, I mean, I got involved with the pro. Like you know, I met Emerald. We had like a little one day shoot um, in sort of the very beginning of 2018. It was like a very last minute thing. I got a call, and it was Emerald had written a sort of three minute satirical piece that was going to be presented at a TED talk. So it was a kind of short film, essentially, that we made in a day. And this all happened like very quickly. And we kind of had like a really wonderful days shooting in a way. And we also found a bit of time to explore within that. And then, you know, I remember being like really struck by Emerald's dark sense of humor, even on that day. And mm. I was like, you know, there's something quite unique there. And uh, you know, then I didn't, I, I went off, shot another project. Emerald was probably, I think she may have still been on Killing Eve and whatnot. And then she sent me the script, you know, sort of six months later. Uh, and you know, it's just not, I don't like, it's just, you don't, you, you know, a script like that, that has like those last 30 pages or you just don't get sent that kind of thing a lot. You know what I mean? So yeah. like when I read it, I was like, I mean, the setup alone is what most, a movie could be made of that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? The sort of yeah. conceit of her going out to these bars and things. So I was like struck by that. There may have been, if I had any kind of queries, it might have been in this middle section, which we discussed. And then like, when I got to the end, I was just like, you don't, even for that, like to have that, I was like, how, I want to see how this plays out. Like how, <laughs> how you know, like, I want to see what they are. I want to help create, I want to make this work. Like I want, yeah. can the audience, will it stay with us? Will the audience stay? So like, it's just so exciting because you could never read the opening of that script and imagine what was going to happen. And when you do, you realize it's like, you know, it's just a, it's such a powerful, and it was also really funny, the script, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think the yeah. film is as well. And I think that's important to remember. And I think on the flip side of that, you know, when I met Emerald and Emerald, during that period, a film had come out that I had shot called Beast, which is quite different, a, yeah. a bit darker and things like that. But it's also a strong female lead, psychological thriller. And I think like she really responded to that, you know, so I was responding to her script. She was responding to my work. And I think because we'd had this day together that worked quite well, those things came together all at the right time, really. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Yeah. I sort of went to that meeting and was like, and then, you know, the one thing you'd never know, it, because obviously I came there with like pictures of Gone Girl and Magnolia and all mm -hmm. this weighty drama. And sort of Emerald was like, well, like, this is my lookbook. I'm sort of like opening it and there's like a pink toilet and a thing. And I'm just <laughs> like, no, but I was like, you know, that kind of, that was like the last hook. That was sort of like, I really want to do this project. Because mm -hmm. A, like, that's such a specific view. You know, like, that's what I look for all the time when I meet directors or whoever. I want, Because we're telling possibly the same stories a lot. You know, that's how it, it works. But what makes it different is what's, what's your take on it? You know what I mean? And yeah. to have that as a springboard is just so amazing. <laughs> a long-winded way of saying. No, that's great. And tell me, tell me what it was like working with Emerald as a director. What was your collaboration like? I mean, from that moment, she's really, I mean, she's so sort of generous and open, but she has, you know, she, Emerald is as meticulous as I would say Cassie's character is in the movie, you know, yeah. and she's all over everything. And especially when it comes to design, like she has a, you know, she is aesthetically in tune and, and like, so it's really getting on that page. And then, so in prep, it would be, we would discuss a lot 
a lot about the form of the picture. And I was quite keen that it had quite a strong form. And that means like, it's something you find from both images and sitting on location and discussing blocking and how these things might work. And, you know, like, but I was, we were, you know, we didn't have a lot to play with, but we knew what we did have and we knew the limitations and we were like, you know, it, it was really clear that it had to be, we weren't making like, we're not going to do like Emerald does Tarantino or Emerald's right. doing like Paul Thomas Anderson. This had to be like Emerald's picture. You know what I mean? And and like what, but she has, I think that does come through. Like she guided it in that way that was like, and she was radical in that sense. I, I say to people like, you know, because I would set up frames and I was keen to sort of play with the edges of the frame. I was keen that, you know, Cassie's character begins in stasis. And I was keen to like that, that, we had discussed like maybe the camera is predatory at points. You know what I mean? When she's with these guys and it has this very slow moves and things like that. And, you know, she would like back me up every time or I even set up the frame and then Emerald would be like, let's, you know, let's just put her right on the left of frame. I mean, if Mm -hmm. we're going to put her on the edge, you know, so it was really kind of, I see it as like a perfect collaboration in that sense, because it's like when it works really well, it's kind of like also you're kind of sparring with each other, you know, I'll, She'll throw me a ball. I'll throw the ball back. And it was kind of, you'd really take it. And we, we kind of backed each other up in that way, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it shows, you know, it's, the film has its own voice as it should have. And hopefully not feel like a mash of other things you've seen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I love how, you know, exactly like you were talking about, how, how unique the visual style is. Because you could totally see a Gone Girl style version of this movie but that's not how you guys approach it how 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 would you describe the visual style how did you approach the visual style of promising young woman <laughs> the, the approach at the outset was i mean emerald was very it, 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 it was she wanted it to be you know we did talk a lot about it you know above all else it also had to be a thriller it had to be fun mm. it had yeah. to be I remember what was it? she was like, it needs, but it also needs to be dangerous in some way, or it needs mm-hmm. to be like, in a way we discussed, of course, that's been, I think someone else had mentioned it, but there is like, it is like chewing on like a really sweet bonbon or something. And there's like a mm-hmm. razor blade in the middle, you know, it's the yeah, kind of like, yeah. you need to, and, and, and I think the what started that, which, already happened in our initial meeting in a way was that Emerald said, you know, I don't want to signpost anything in this movie. And I think that's exactly, you know, the reaction I had when I read it and it's like, you cannot, we can't signpost it. So let's, you know, and, 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 and we had images, she had images of clueless and things like that. And it was all, it just made it really, it's in disguise. It's kind of like in a way that then as we went through the prep and into shooting it, I almost like realized that we were doing what Cassie's sort of doing on a night out as well. And the visual style came from, you know, we're disguising this movie and then we're going to turn it around at the end. And it was very specific, you know, because Emerald had written in these points, like she knew that that penultimate scene was going to be two and a half minutes of one take. Like that was already written. And, and and it was so specific in that way. And we had to be so specific because we only had 23 days. So (laughs) we planned and planned if you know, what I mean so um but it came from it came both from a limitation and both from what Cassie's character how she was feeling and giving it 
trying to be as honest and as subjective at points as we, as we could be with that, you know? Yeah. Tell, tell me more about some of the inspirations you, you've mentioned, you know, images of pink toilets and, and clueless. And well, I think, what were some of the other inspirations? Yeah. I think like the big uh, inspirations for, especially, I think, well, Hitchcock was a big one for Emerald. Mm. She's yeah. very much into, which I think shows as well. Um, you know, the tension we had, we did sort of sync up, I think, with a couple of images. And that was, um, I had an image of, of, of Nicole Kidman in To Die For. Mm, yeah. I also really like, there was like an image of Julianne Moore in the film Safe, like in this mm-hmm. wide, in this living room. Um, and that was kind of great because then when Emerald seen that, she was like, oh, you know, Nancy's going to be doing the costumes. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, that's so amazing. Because she yeah. did like safe and stuff. Yeah. So there were like, um, and also there was a, I, Emerald also had some images of like the Cindy Sherman centerfold series. Have you seen that? Where Cindy Sherman is both the victim and the photographer. Hmm. And it's kind of interesting because she's got like her red hair, like she'll have different wigs on and stuff like that and playing dead. And it's kind of like, but I think from that, what was, yeah, what is so striking is it's, well, the aesthetic is also, it's, that there's something difficult to describe, but like, or Emerald would say, you know, that it should feel other, like the film should have this otherness Mm, that we can't quite. um, And I think we've kind of like that, that, that was also another sort of springboard, you know, because in a way, at points it should feel you know it's almost like where the cinema that could it's that mix of where something feels almost fake but it's not fake and you know which you could really see in some of those images yeah yeah i can't remember who did those pink the pink (laughs) she did have some pink it was maybe it wasn't a pink toilet but it's there was some it was maybe even images of like like a lot of 90s stuff, you know what yeah, I mean? Which was, yeah. fits into that clueless world or photographs from David LaChapelle or like from music videos of that time and things. And it was, I just think that aesthetic, yeah, it just really, really worked. It's also very Emerald. I don't know if you, right. if you ever meet Emerald, that is very much her. So That's cool. it, it all makes sense That's <laughs> when cool. you meet her. There are, there are multiple shots throughout the film that kind of frame Cassie like an angel or a, or a Madonna. Dig into that for me. What what were the discussions uh, about about framing her that way throughout the film? So the angel, yeah, the the sort of avenging angel was something that was uh, discussed quite a bit, or it was. It could have even been a line in the. It was in the description in the script, but. Um, there were two things there. There's the Avenging Angel and there's also Emerald was the, you know, the, is it Paeta from Michelangelo? Mm. And these two images, because she would say to me, you know, Ben, this film is also about forgiveness. So she's also the Avenging Angel, but she's also, it's also, she's asking, she's, well, that's what she's looking for. She wants the people to recognize what they've done and if they do, she'll forgive them. You know what I mean? But yeah, no one yeah. does really well, apart from uh, the lawyer, you know? So yeah. it's kind of interesting that, that those two images we had, uh, and she obviously then really becomes the avenging angel 
mm-hmm. towards the end or once that mission begins. And then I think we started to, you know, those images, I think it's from the bed. I think it's probably what you're talking about yeah. or, yeah, where there's almost like wings or even in the very opening, I think as she lies on the bed in Jerry's flat, even the creases in the, in, in the bed sheets look like wings, you know, if oh, you look sure, closely yeah. and things like that. So there's a lot of like where we would play that and um, I think it was just, yeah, it was both, I think the bed one is conscious and then things like when we see seen those on the bed, we would kind of like, you know, amp it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I both those are very important for Cassie's trajectory, really. That's great. I also love, you know, I was thinking of the the shot in the uh, it's in the coffee shop uh, framed against something on the wall, decoration on the wall that kind of uh, looks like a halo, ah, you yes. know, that sort of thing. Yes, that. that's the part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That when Ryan comes in, yeah, when they have their kiss. Yes. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was very, so that one was very, very specific. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's great. What what were uh, what were the most challenging sequence or sequences shots uh, whatever what was the most challenging thing to film on this on this project? Challenging we had, I think two of the there was one. I mean the most challenging I think would have been the is the penultimate is going up to the cabin and in the cabin. Yeah. Not but not because of uh, it was actually there was like a change in the. In the location, uh, I, 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 we had we arrived, and then the location had then told us that you know we weren't allowed to sort of rig anything to the ceiling, or we weren't allowed to use any oh. smoke. We weren't allowed. So wow. sort of like they turned turned around a lot of things, and when that happens on a movie, it's like I mean this usually happens on every movie. There's like a moment like this, and you have mm. to really rethink quite quickly, uh, and it can sometimes unlock quite fascinating things you know you have to work quite fast i think what was particularly challenging on that was because if you look at that sequence there's also a very slow motion sequence in there yeah and when you film slow motion you need like you know up to 11 times more light you know if i think we yeah. ended up filming at 450 frames and that also requires so i almost had to light it like the same scene you know it, we had to have twice as much stuff and then i wasn't allowed to put anything wow. off the ceiling so i had to do it from all outside and then bring in only things from the floor but in a way it kind of it created its own sort of atmosphere and i don't think we missed too much the smoke and things like that like i think the wide frames and then choosing the right kind of way to come into the scene it kind of gave it that you know they're all crammed together mm-hmm. on the edges of the frame and things so but it was a really, there was a moment there where it was like, oh, wow, that's, uh, we've got to really turn this around in a short time and rethink. Yeah. But, you know, we had such a lovely crew and everyone was on board. You can really, you can do that. But it was, it, it was, you know, I was sweating for a little bit there. Yeah, yeah I bet. <laughs> this is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest, to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. 
We've had guests from all genres and styles of music. And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, do you have a, like a favorite single shot of this film? Yeah, I love the... It's a small sequence. That's quite an important moment in the movie. I, I like the uh, when she opens the computer on her bed mm. and it kind of breathes and the light goes sort of on and off. It's a kind of heightened moment, but I feel like, and it's also, it's the moment just after she's heard Al Monroe's name. Right. Ryan has mentioned Al Monroe, and this is the moment she opens the computer and decides, I mean, she could have done this a long time ago, couldn't she? You know, she could have checked out what these people are doing or whatever, but because he's mentioned he's getting married and things seem to be going so well, she's like, now you know that it's also maybe in the back of her head she knows that this is going to be dangerous this is there's like a that, that a gear, there's a there's a gear shift there and it's mm-hmm. also like yeah and it had so many things you know we i think the computer scenes can be so bo- boring you know <laughs> right right you know so it's like how how um it 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 it, it and, and Emerald, I remember Emerald saying, oh, I used to have this Mac and it had this screensaver that would go around and the light would emanate. And it was like, what if it kind of breathes? It's kind of calling her. Mm. It's almost like Poltergeist or, yeah. you know, the moment in Videodrome where he goes into the TV. This is the moment she's now, this is the start of the mission. And I also just love it when you can kind of play psychologically with that and it gets the audience into her head and you're a bit more like, wow, this is now, now we're into something else. Mm. Awesome. Well, well, Ben, Promising Young Woman was my uh, absolute favorite film of the year. I think your work is spectacular. Super grateful for uh, for your contribution to the movie because I think it's amazing. What are your favorites of this year? What what have you been watching that's that you've been loving or that's been inspiring you or anything like that? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? I feel like because <laughs> it's such an odd year where I've been. Yeah. Like, I actually I have to. I did it at the beginning of the year, but I was really fortunate to um i actually shot a a whole new movie during lockdown and i often find it difficult to watch new work um when i'm shooting but the Mm -hmm. things that i did watch while i was shooting i watched that a 40 year old version i really liked that Uh, i really liked uh, the documentary time yeah i mean these are things that i mean i just I sort of like because I love the cinema so much. I mean, I've just what obviously we all do, and sure. we miss it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would love to. Um, I think what else did I watch that's um, on the list of this year? I haven't seen some of the sort of the, the bigger ones. I'm still waiting because they're not really released here. I'm still waiting to see Nomadland and things like that. But I'm uh, sure yeah. there'll be something uh, in there. It's so tricky, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Did you have any? What was your? Well, this was your favorite, was it? Yeah, yeah. This really was my favorite. I Nomadland's amazing. Sound of Metal uh, is is phenomenal. Ah, that's it. Sound of Metal because the film I was shooting was with Riz. It was uh, Riz was in it. He was telling me about that movie. So that is actually on. I'm not sure that's even released here either. You see, so I'm still waiting for that one. 
yeah he yeah, looks, yeah. looks great though he's he's wonderful yeah so are you able to to share anything about what you what you were shooting with riz uh i probably the only things i can say so it's with the same director as beast it's his new movie okay. it's titled invasion and it's uh it's a sort of sci-fi road movie hmm. around california that gets uh quite thrilling yeah i can't really say too much about it <laughs> okay but yeah watch this space it'll yes. be out yes it'll be out later in the year awesome great well i'm excited for that uh, again, Ben, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it, and, and thanks for your work on this movie. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Cassandra? <laughs> We're in class together at Forest. You would have been a great doctor. What happened? I left under unusual circumstances. You remember what happened, right? why I dropped out. I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. We get accusations like this all the time. Who needs brains? They never did a girl any good. I'm so sorry I didn't go with her. You gotta let it go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast, where today we are talking with Michael Perry, the production designer for Promising Young Woman. Michael, where are you these days, and how are you holding up? Um, I am in Atlanta. I've just started a new picture and, uh, I'm fine. I'm, uh, unfortunately a few months back I had COVID, but now I'm all full of antibodies. So it's oh. not quite so scary for me anymore. I'm very glad to hear that you are doing better <laughs> than in that case. And in- incredible that you are in Atlanta, um, <laughs> my second home, uh, and working on a new picture. That's, that's amazing. I'm so glad that People are getting back to work and making more movies. That's great to hear. About Promising Young Women, this is... I'm very excited to speak to you specifically about this movie because it is so stylized as far as (laughs) the look of it and the color palette especially. Um, And there's a lot going on in the production design and the way that production design and costume and makeup and all the crafts really sort of work together to create um, this look. And I'm wondering when you guys started working on this movie, was that something that Emerald, being the writer and director, always had in mind? Or was that something that you all came up with together or through individual conversations? I'll put it, let's let's, start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So initially I got the script I read the script, really loved it, and had an initial phone conversation with Emerald. And during the conversation, we talked about the script a little, and we talked about, <clears throat> she asked me about some of my movies that came before this, and, you know, a little bit of back and forth. And I, you know, I felt the interview went fine. I, I did firmly believe at that point that for some reason that was being, you know, Emerald was being nice to me, that this was obviously. <laughs> Some woman's this woman designer's movie, which would have been perfectly great. I mean, I was like, just I was just thrilled to talk to an incredible screenwriter. <laughs> then she says at the end of the conversation, she says, "Can I talk to you about Sweet Valley High?" <laughs> I almost fell on the floor because that's something I did twenty. Let's see, my son's twenty six. Twenty six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I don't think anybody's mentioned it since then. <laughs> she then had a slew of questions about the color choices I made. And I was like, Emerald, I haven't watched this in a very long time. <laughs> yes, I purpose I do I do remember purposely making it very colorful and poppy <clears throat> to take it into a different direction than other teenage shows were doing at the particular time. I made it very much a, a rock video. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes, well, I want to send you my mood board, but just so you know, the reason I brought this up is there's a lot of Sweet Valley High on it. Wow. I said, your mood board? She said, yeah. So she sent me the mood board, and she was right. There was a lot of Sweet Valley High, a lot of sets I barely remember. A blast from the past. It was totally. And then we had a, a sit-down meeting, and I said to her, you've got to explain this to me. <laughs> and she said... Women my age in England, this was our obsession about America and how teenagers were in America. She goes, it's a, you ask anybody my age, you say you production design Sweet Valley High, they'll, they'll, they'll be knocked out. Mm-hmm. That became the original conversation. Now she, I knew that she never went, wanted to go dark. She wanted it to be, she, we wanted to do a Britney Spears Paris Hilton video. Yeah, and to subvert what was going on the on the screen in you know serious situations, you make the the audience feel comfortable. You make them feel uncomfortable. All you know, you leave little trails. Um, I know that when Nancy, uh, the customers that originally sat down with her, Nancy had gone to a much darker place, mm. and then when Emerald explained what she was doing. And then she saw a lot of my scrap. She went back and turned around in, you know, two seconds and then did delivered a brilliant costume design. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I knew hair and makeup had gotten the same brief. They hadn't really locked on to anything quite at that point, except that I know that um, uh, makeup sent Emerald the nails a picture of someone with multicolored nails. And then they spent a great deal of time yeah. picking those specific colors. Well, wow, so she really, so she had the whole mood of this. It was sort of fully formed right from, right well, from the get-go. It's very interesting the way she works. Mm. So what she does is goes into a room, turns on music, and thinks about the story. Mm. It's not writing like normal people write. So... She she basically, to a soundtrack, writes the script in her head. And then when she's kind of worked out all the points, she sits down and then writes the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So there are no drafts of this, this script. There is the script. Wow. And that's it. And that's what we shot. Wow. You know, she did need very much steering. I mean, I, I, I connected with her sort of visualized immediately. And, you know, we passed... One of the things that she sent me <clears throat> that I'll totally admit to using a lot of was uh, there's an Instagram um, that is uh, Murder She Wrote Sets. Really? <laughs> yep. Yep. And a matter of fact, there's two pieces of scenery pr- or dressing in there that were absolutely Murder She Wrote. The Madonna in the hospital and the pink pharmacy song. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to need a minute to process that. 
Right. Um, wow. Murder, she wrote. Holy. Well, wow. <laughs> okay. That, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there that I will leave for another yep. time. Yep. Um, but I'm glad that you brought up the Madonna in the uh, the, the waiting room mm-hmm. um, because there that that is sort of this uh, there is this theme visually of Cassie with um, religious iconography of a sort. There, there is that that she sort of stands yep. next to when she uh, talks with Ryan there, and then there is um, exactly. a, a, a shot later in the movie in the uh, in the coffee shop that is very much framed like she's a Madonna, mm-hmm. and um, there's a, a shot in the um, uh, in the scene with Madison yes. in the um, in the uh, hotel or restaurant where she sort of has a, like a halo almost around her. Yeah, the the only the only red light in the place. Yep. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming that the um, that this was always always an idea um, between either just Emerald and you or the two of you together. The two of us together. We we explored different ways we could. Yeah, you know, the the idea is she's an avenging angel, mm-hmm. but she also has mercy. Yeah, you know the the thing is not for her to punish, so much as um, she's looking for um, being asked for forgiveness. Right, and when she gets it, like with the Alfred Molina, mm-hmm. she leaves him alone. Um, but otherwise, yeah, she's going to uh, do you do something. She's going to do something. And, um, yeah, so, the, you know, it, with her bedroom bedroom set, we looked very hard. Uh, Ray Deutscher, my, my set decorator, you know, kept bringing me winged beds till we found the perfect winged bed. Um, same with the couch in the house. Um, so, yeah, we, we mm-hmm. definitely played with the tarot cards. There's, you know, Joan of Arc is in there. Yes. So we, we tried to play a little with the martyrdom with the Madonna forgiveness and the avenging angel and pink and blue. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Of course the, the pink and blue. And there is, I love everything about um, the design within Cassie's parents house. Um, The, (laughs) it's fascinating that you saying that that was, that the reason for a lot of the, that sort of ornate, furniture was the idea of wings um because (laughs) one of the things that i love about that house is that um uh her her father specifically mentions that her mom does all the decorating and spends a lot of time on it at one point in the script and it it felt very very specific to a certain kind of woman who grew up with a certain idea. And can you talk about the, um, all the animals <laughs> that are yeah. in so, that house? <laughs> so, you know, the whole point was for the house to be um, stuck in time, as mm. Cassie is. Yeah. Um, and we played with some different ideas, and we looked at some locations, and we started to go to this very Rococo feminine look. Mm. And then we talked about, you know, which he had pictures of Cassie. There doesn't seem to be that kind of affection here. Mm. So we decided she, she raised dogs. So all the paintings are of dogs. Um, <laughs> Cause I always love the idea that you, you have a pet 
and you go get it painted and put over your mantle. <laughs> that to me is hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, we kind of just ran with that. And I would, you know, a lot of like, we also talked about like her watching, um, you know, like the shopping network and constantly uh-huh. buying figurines and <laughs> pink and white feminine you know, swans. Oh God, the um the swan next to the couch where Allison Brie sits down and she gives it this <laughs> look that is exactly what I would do if I sat down there. Right. And and that was the that was the fun part. We told everybody to react to it. Yeah. You know, don't, don't pretend it's not there. Just don't give it an explanation. Yeah. yeah so her yeah, her look says it all. <laughs> really does (laughs) i it is it is one of those it is one of those houses where you feel like all the furniture would be like have that plastic wrap over it absolutely (laughs) absolutely Absolutely. um yeah that's that was that was our goal it was uh a lot of this movie is i have to say because we went so fast Mm. um i was surrounded by a great crew um but it was also you know, I have a lot of experience, so mm-hmm. I just followed my gut and my feelings on a lot of this. Mm. It, you know, what seemed right turned out to be right. Um, and uh, I'm just lucky enough my gut was on the right <laughs> the right course. Very right, I would say. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the pink pharmacy sign. That is one of those things where it's like, did you find this location or did you create it more I, there, there are a few locations we in the movie that are more. like that yeah yeah what is the other one you think uh the the other one that i was going to ask was the um was the clubs in in the film yeah no the clubs we did i mean i i can't tell you how many clubs i mm. i went to i mean the the one of the re, one of the big things up front was i mean i think the very first location we saw was what became the cabin where she was killed. Okay. And so finding something sort of pitch perfect, I was like, you know what? We need to cast the locations. We need to, you know, look at a lot of them and wait till we find the right place before we, you know, pull the trigger. Because it's, you know, it's like I could only augment um, most of the things, yeah. leaving the two big things, the or three, three big things, the house, the cabin and, and, um, the coffee shop. Um, so we could hopefully spend enough time on each thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like a very fluid, all of one world kind of film. Yeah. And, um, the, there was something that, um, you know, I was talking with, friends who have watched the movie and so much to dissect and think about with this, but there's this idea that um, her home and the coffee shop are these very, very pink spaces, Mm -hmm. very pink and white. Mm -hmm. And then there are, you know, the other spaces, um, you know, when she 
the club that Ryan catches her at with uh, the guy in the fedora is called the Blue Star and is sort of defined by that blue, blue light outside. And the um, there's Mm -hmm. the blue sky in Ryan's office. And Mm -hmm. I think there's even some blue in his apartment, too. Um, And yes, well, I mean, first of all, was is the Blue Star a real club or did you guys have that side name? No, the the Blue Star is actually a weird, strange little diner in East L.A. Oh, wow. And it's been there forever and ever and ever. Um, I don't believe it's ever been shot. I have never seen it before. And we augmented it with more blue neon because we, we definitely, the clubs all were neon and poppy. That was sort of what we wanted. But the blues sort of suggest, so that's me, again, playing against type. The blues always sort of suggested safe, like the, you know, in the coffee shop, the blues and the pinks. That's where she feels she's safe. A very frilly house is where she's trapped. And then real world comes in occasionally with the more neutral looking things like Alfred Molina's house is very black and white because he, he's begging for forgiveness. So we sort of back up that black and white kind of view. And then the dean's office and the end of the movie, they're the only places I use those wood tones and greens um, in the in the hotel room. Is, I mean, in the uh, cabin, it's plaid on plaid on plaid. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of fun to try. <laughs> um, <laughs> and those are those represent society, the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She she confronts it at the dean. It's a, it's a switch in tone because. You don't know that she isn't going to kill the kid. You just, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the first act of like, wait a minute, what, what's wrong with her? Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you find out she has it. But she's, she's pushing back at yes society, the man, and in the end, it's society and the man that gets her. Yeah, <laughs> which is bleak, but it is definitely what we were trying to show. Yeah, it's it's bleak and it's and it's very powerful and especially that um the 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 sort of aftermath of the big climactic scene in the cabin when you know we right. we see all the the animal heads on there <laughs> and like the, you know the idea that you know like I, who was the real hunter here? Right. Exactly. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it like I said, there's so much. The I I, I did want to bring it back to because Alfred Molina's space. Mm-hmm. I love that he has this sort of mess on that table <laughs> around which they sit. <laughs> and um I, I like how much went into the specific items that were there, you know, figuring out like what this man has been doing with his life post quote unquote nervous breakdown. <laughs> we wanted the clutter to sort of represent guilt. Okay. So while it wasn't, I think I threw, I threw in a few items. Um, Emerald Fruit had a few ideas, mm-hmm. but I will say that's one place. Uh, there are places where I let set decorator props, my art director, play with things, and then I would come in and give a final sheen. Mm-hmm. So the actual mess is my set decorators. I came in and went, yes, 
um, the wedding, the wedding oh, is God, called the wedding. My uh, my art director, but I added the. So I, I'm sure you've noticed that throughout the movie there are pops of very bright reds. Yes, and that all, you know, that's like the danger warning. She thinks she's safe, but behind her head there are red cups, so mm-hmm. she's not safe. So wherever those show up, you know, it's kind of a an obvious yeah trail of you know things but eventually you open up on that wedding and it's a river of blood with the with the flowers in the aisle Mm -hmm. yeah it's (laughs) it is something that like could be very obvious in a not subtle way like calling too much attention to itself and i think you find just the right amount of everything to make it seem like all natural and part of the world, but also this symbol. Yeah, I mean, that was honestly my goal. I mean, I did a lot of that in um, It Follows. Yes. And actually in Under Silver Lake as well. Yeah. You know, I come out of the theater, so scenery becomes very much uh, metaphoric sometimes Mm -hmm. in in theater. And that was, that's been my approach of late, is I don't just want to deliver, you know, I always say to people, if you just want to shoot locations and have the story carried, that's great. Mm-hmm. I'm not your guy anymore. I don't, that's, mm. I'm not interested in that. Um, I'm, I'm more interested in a challenge, um, but I'm not, I, I'm not going to be quiet anymore. <laughs> yeah. Scenery wise. Good for you. <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there's a, and listen, I've been doing a lot of interviews and it's, you kind of work this out a little bit in your head by mm-hmm. having these conversations. Yeah. But normally a production designer and and I have totally done this most of my career is the ideal thing is that no one even knows you did anything. Yeah. You know, and that makes you I, Donnie I I just rewatched one of my other Donnie Brook. It's about as naturalistic as you can t- be. Until the very end, and then I have to show off. But yeah, I I, I just kind of like uh, I'm going after films that are um, they have something to say. They're interesting. They're mm-hmm. challenged in all different ways. But that let me put my stamp on it. It's great. Hey, hey there. there, I'm Hannah, and I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Um, And I think, personally, I think looking at the movie, I think the biggest stamp in terms of the production design is definitely felt in the coffee shop. (laughs) 
which um, were this a year when we could, you know, all get out and meet each other and go places, I would be on the lookout for where someone was doing a pop-up version of this coffee shop for for promotion for the movie because it is so indelible. Um, The neon make me coffee sign. (laughs) I'm assuming you guys made that or provided it yourselves. Okay. Let, let me let me let me tell you about the coffee shop. <laughs> Literally the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. We looked at many places. In the end, we found a space that it was just a big open white room on the street. Okay. There was nothing in it. They came to me and said, We only have a day to dress that. Wow. And I was like, well, then let's forget it. Let's go look for a coffee shop. Uh-huh. And they were like, mm. and I had done drawings and some sketches of how I wanted it to feel. So what we did was we, we kind of pre did everything, laid it all out. We made choice in a, in a, we laid it all out in a parking lot. We made choices, changes. And then on the day, Almost everything was up within three hours. That's incredible. I, it was ridiculous. And I could physically make some decisions. And then I brought Emerald by that day. And we were up and shooting mm. the next day. Wow. And that's, that's a testament to my crew. Mm-hmm. I had to do that out of necessity. But on my last two films, and I'm sure I'll include this, I've actually done it for a few sets. So now it's become mm. part of my process wow. where I want to see something that's going to take a real effort to dress. I want to, I want to, I want to play with it before anybody gets to see it. Yeah. I, I want to eat all of the pastries <laughs> that, that we see. <laughs> like I, it's a weird movie that makes me hungry when I, when I watch mm-hmm. it. Um, Nothing like a rape revenge movie that makes you hungry. Really, really, truly, truly. Um, those, those rainbow colored uh, Swiss rolls. Mm-hmm. Were, did you bring these in from a bakery? Did you guys make them yourselves? Are they real? <laughs> no, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't make, we didn't make them ourselves, but we did, we did have pictures of what they were capable of. Mm. And um, we, I think props found, knew this place because the, the, Prop department had done a lot of food over the years mm. and they had this baker who could do all these sorts of things. So when they showed him, it was like, yeah, great. Let's do that. Uh, let's make it red. Let's make it rainbow. Let's make this one pink. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had a maid. <laughs> Fantastic. And they were, yeah, I mean, and we all wanted to eat them, but they'd all already <laughs> been like sprayed with WD 40 right. to make them shiny. <laughs> so we were all very disappointed at the end of the day. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. <laughs> truly, truly the worst. Those fantastic um, wall decals, the blue um, mm-hmm. little frame that we see her with um, for that Virgin mm-hmm. Mary-ish shot. Was, was that specific shot something that was always in Emerald's mind? Like, did you know when you were creating the space that you wanted a space like that. Yeah. When I was creating the space, I knew there would be, uh, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing because when I read mm-hmm. it, I started just thinking of sort of French, like you know, in a way of a French bakery. Okay. I yeah. Just got back from Paris ah. before I'd started this. And then I went, 
okay, well, where do we go from there? How do we make it? How do we make it a Britney Spears mm. French break area? And then I would bet it's weird because that one is definitely it's very odd to reference yourself. <laughs> and it's kind of scary the time frame from when you did something sort of like that, but it wasn't yeah. quite like that. Uh, and so, you know, I looked at the cameos. Um, it started with the, the actual uh, photographs on the back wall, which were mm-hmm. photographed cameos for sale. And me looking at them and going, yeah, this is the way we go. And then I realized there were medallions that were out there that would be perfect as halos. And we had those. Those were all cast for us. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely was one where I went, I can give you a really great halo. <laughs> nice. Nice. And that is, that is, you know, sort of one of the iconic shots of the movie. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. incredible. I We're getting down to like little, little details that I always, that just like, pop up when i watch this the the film posters in neil's apartment (laughs) um the second guy who we see her take her home Mm -hmm. (laughs) did that come from a character place of these are probably the films this guy likes or was it more about the look of them i mean you know this guy is very typical in los angeles he's Mm -hmm. working on a book he probably works in an ad agency but He's never really had the ambition to move along further because, you know, in his head, he's an artist and it's, right. you know, and, and you know, and he's taken in school, he took all those film classes, <laughs> and, you know, French new wave and things we like all, that. And we all know this guy. And maybe he's not. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe he's not actually seen them hmm. and put the posters up to impress. Right. That, that I was always, hmm. I was always weak on that one. I could go either way. So that was our goal with him. You know, he'd have turntable, the beaded curtain. God, the beaded curtain. (laughs) Yeah. It's a stereotype. I I catch you, but it's one that works. It really is. It really is. And again, it sort of has that dark, mm-hmm. I don't recall if it's wood panel, but it feels like that sort of dark, heavy space. Yeah, it's dark brick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a dark blue. Mm. There's that blue again. <laughs> and mm-hmm. red with the brick. Yeah. Ryan's office. There are all these uh, pictures on the wall from the kids that you assume he's operated on and saved and they loved him. And, right. Um, did you guys get actual kids to make those? Um, some of them, some of them are my, my 27 year old when he was a six year old. Oh, wow. When I realized, I realized, uh, when you put stuff on the refrigerator, I was doing lots yeah. of commercials at that point. Mm. You really shouldn't do ones that look like adults trying to do kids pictures. Yeah. So I had my son, like do a whole packet for me. Oh wow! <laughs> and I and I I got to take him off with a, a Wii Nintendo. <laughs> and somewhere there's like a great uh, in my files is a great like release, you know that he that I can use his his stuff anywhere. Oh, wow. And then it's like a first graders, <laughs> you know, scrabbling his name on it. So. <laughs> And then I think Ray gets some other ones from some other kids. But yeah, that was one of the things I specifically said is, you know, make sure it's not grown up doing um, what they think kids would do draw because it's not. It always looks 
fake to me. Yeah, you can tell. And you, they did feel real and authentic. Like, these are definitely his patients, and these are definitely the ones right, that he would hang right. up. Yeah. And there are these things in all those scenes that great character work through production design. You know, the design of everything tells us who these characters are and what they do. Mm. One of the things about production design that kind of fascinates me is, and I, I assume I, I sort of assume it's production design, and it could be something else because it kind of straddles the line. Um, is when you have to make these uh, fake websites that are analogous to mm. the real world. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I had to ask about um, Friender, spelled weirdly, the fake Facebook. <laughs> Is that something that falls within like your purview, or? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of one of the biggest nightmare things that most people really don't know about mm. is we work through a clearance companies, which are okay. much more lawyers than they are art people. Mm. So I have to send them stuff all the time, which they either, usually I have to battle with them and go, no, that's original. There's a poster over the, you know, when she sits up and she says, what are you doing? Over the bed is a painting of a train going through a tunnel. (laughs) In the end, I had to physically do that. Because they wouldn't let me use any of the ones that I found. Wow. So when you see like something like Friendster, that's that's honestly, I get an email that seems like it's from a lawyer saying this is the approved name of the website. Wow. And then you go from there. Uh, yeah, it's very. You jump through some weird ass hoops. I mean, that's right now I'm sort of in heaven because I'm not having to pass through because it's early days. Uh-huh. Um, but that's all going to come crashing down oh, wow. within a week or so when I, when I start getting, you know, this is what you can use. So uh, until, until Texas Chainsaw, which mm. is the last movie I did, Promising Young Woman was the hardest I ever had with a clearance house. Really? And then when I, <laughs> yeah. Um, huh. I mean, they kept saying to me, they kept saying, well, you know, Universal wants to keep this, you know, eventually to be on TV. So we want to, mm. you know, keep it within TV movie parameters. Oh, I just, I wow. Just, I just snarled at him. <laughs> I don't do TV movies. <laughs> and hung up on him and just had everybody else deal with this guy. It was just like, dude, I'm not insulted very easily but <laughs> you just cross the line wow but then i like i said then i worked on texas and it was like i don't think there's anything i did that didn't have to go through an approval process that was bitterly long because we're 10 hours off of la mm. so stuff would start coming in the middle of the night oh my we God. all had to learn to turn our phones off <laughs> it, was, it was just ridiculous wow that that's that's something that i would never ever think of yeah over the years it's become more and more prominent so there's there's these weird legal boxes we have to jump through wow that weren't weren't there at the beginning of my day <laughs> the modern world <laughs> exactly at this point i'm just like sort of look what are the other things oh um the, the probably i think maybe the m- single most important prop 
of the film is Cassie's notebook. Yes. Um, with all the hash marks and the names mm-hmm. and the different color pens. <laughs> and and I'm I'm sure or I, Emerald has said that, you know, she knows what the different colors are, but doesn't want to say because thinks it's more interesting and more fun for people to come up with their own theories. But when you were or when <laughs> whoever was creating this book, um, did you? We don't know. You you didn't know. Nope. It's something she wouldn't tell us. Fascinating. And and Emerald believes as I do mm-hmm. is that you present a piece. Yeah. And then it's no longer. I learned this with it follows, where I would mm. get these letters from people who took away stuff from it that certainly wasn't overly intended. Mm. Some were some were choices, but but things that people themselves took away. And you realize, yeah, you know, when I go and look at a painting, I don't ask. You know, I'd call, sit up and call up the uh, the painter and say, "Hey, what'd you mean by this?" Yeah, I take away what I did, whatever I take away, right, wrong, indifferent. It's you know, once you finish the piece, you give it up to the audience. You know, there are places where they just need to fill in the blanks for themselves. Mm. I mean, I I do feel funny. Talk, I did talk to Emerald about talking about like the color cues and things like that mm-hmm. but she was fine with that but i have no idea what those hash marks mean wow so i mean did so did she give you guys any direction oh yeah, yeah as yeah. relates to the colors and there should be more of this mm-hmm. color than that color or that absolutely she just she sat down i believe the prop master mm-hmm. and she said put a hash mark here put a hash mark put a red one here do this she 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 wow. directed that. Fascinating, and of course the um the scrunchie <laughs> that um Cassie ties around it. Um, talk about I guess the the choices because it's such an important prop it, for the movie. The choices about what how you know what kind of notebook you got, and then tying the scrunchie to it. Well, you know we see. The true Cassie, what Cassie mm-hmm. was before from all of this yes. in the pharmacy scene. That's her. Mm-hmm. She's a bubbly, she was a bubbly, smart person. Yeah. Um, the scrunchie is from those days. That's that's one of the ties to her, her past. The book, and we had a lot of theories about the book. <laughs> and the theories that she bought it. I was more on, you know, you get these gifts sometimes, and yeah. you don't really know what to do it, you know, but mm-hmm. I feel like she'd gotten that. And then the moment came when the gift became a, a, a real thing. Yeah. And we, yeah, some of the stuff, you know, I we thought about a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. we couldn't possibly think of everything. Everything. Yeah, of course. <laughs> somebody, somebody the other day asked me about, well, you know, the blue of Cassie's car and the blue of the truck. Did that mean? And in my head, it was like I think that was the only truck available in blue. That's all I asked for. It didn't have a meaning because it was a deeper shade. Mm. Um, so you know, it, once again, you know, people, including reporters, you know, go down a road because in their head they're filling in all the blanks, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm very, I was very hesitant about talking to people yeah um because it's not really a production designer's thing this end of the part of the business 
Um, but I want the movie to succeed. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important movie, which is you don't get very many chances in life to work on an important movie. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've agreed to every interview just because, uh, you know, any avenue for someone to find this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, just to be supportive of Emerald, because it is such a major accomplishment what she did. Yes. I mean, I'm terrified of the next one because, <laughs> you know, she was pregnant. <laughs> she had written this in her, you know, in her head. She was on the phone to uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber constantly talking about a book for um, Cinderella. Oh, wow. Which would have been on the West End in November. But yes. Hopefully be this year. And you're like, who are you? How <laughs> never cross word from her. I mean, if she, I will say for a director, what was fantastic was I would show her something and she would go, oh, that's lovely. It's, yes. Or she would go, no. And that would be fine. To get a director to say no and not hedge his bets is amazing. Yeah. And she... She she has it all. She's she's the real thing. The film does have such a strong voice to it. And I you know, it, it's great to hear that she was so she was so involved and but not in an you know, in a very collaborative way. Super collaborative. Mm-hmm. She wanted to hear everything we had. Yeah. Sometimes she would go yes, sometimes she would go no. Um I said to some someone uh some some things she won, some things I won, and they were like, "Well, what are they?" And I'm like, "I'm never telling you." <laughs> <laughs> that that was between you know the production designer and the director, um, but she, yeah, I mean, this was the happiest set I've ever worked on. That's fantastic. And considering the subject matter, that sounds insane, but mm-hmm. it was um, it was a very woman centric film, which was very cool. Uh, I I had mostly mostly female crew, which I did obviously on purpose. But like when I do action movies, I like my art directors to be women, so there's not so much hmm. testosterone and bullets flying around. Sure. So I think what was you know we had women producers, women directors, uh, women art director, set decorator, and it was so it was definitely different than an all male shoot. Hmm. I will say that. Um, much more of a nurturing. It wasn't, no, no one was going, my dick is bigger. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a lot more about uh, how do we make this sense? I should hope not, giving the subject matter of this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, uh, and yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't know that I'll ever have an experience like that. It was, mm. it was of a moment of a time. Well, that's, it's fantastic to hear and, uh, the work shows. The work shows on screen. I think it does. I think it was from everyone because, you know, nobody was there to make money. No one was there to, you know, it was, it never got stressful, but it was, you know, 18 hour days. Yeah. But we all kind of went to it together. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Thank you. So I'm going to say uh, thank thank you. Thank you very much for speaking with us today uh, about this movie, and thank you for your work on the film. Oh yeah, so I hope I didn't get I didn't, hope I didn't get too far off track. Oh no no no, it, it was it was great. It's fantastic. Thank you for your time and thank you for your work. What are you gonna do? Get him up. 
Why do you guys have to ruin everything? We were kids. If I hear that one more time, I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was hoping you'd feel differently by now. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. Lately, I've been feeling like I might want to get back into it. All right, so um, obviously the makeup's a huge standout part of this. One of the less obvious makeup areas is playing up Carrie's kind of normal girl look. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me a little bit about making Carrie look so aggressively before so that the after can in turn be so dramatic. How did you play up the normal girl look? Um, what I did with Carrie for for this one was, you know, she has such a sweet face. It's such <laughs> a, she's got sort of like, I always say she's kind of like peaches and cream, you know, that, <laughs> that sort of English fair kind of porcelain complexion. And her face is not very angular. It's, it's a soft face. So what I tried to do or what I did um, to make sure that there was a big difference between the two looks was that I worked with the softness and the roundness. I tried to keep her, you know, very little contouring, so there weren't a lot of angles. I applied the blush in a really soft, kind of rounded on the cheeks, on the apples of the cheeks, to keep it looking soft and more innocent. And then I just used colors like pastel, like pinks and and mauves and rosy tones because those have a tendency to make people subconsciously think innocence when they see pink cheeks and mm. you know, sort of. Bright eyes with you know lashes that are kind of curled up and the eyes open. It it sort of it suggests innocence, and so that's what I did because it it allowed me to keep her look completely separate and the energy of the look completely separate. And I would say one of the biggest things was not using contour, um, because once you start adding angles and sharpness to the face, it takes away sweetness. Now, uh, Daniel, would you say there was anything on the hair you guys did to kind of uh, emphasize that sweetness too? Well, so yeah, you know, the, the first thing was to really establish her look. And so we had a powwow session in a hair salon um, that they rented for us. And we kind of bought, brought all our bags of tricks with uh, Emerald there and met Carrie for the first time. She had just gotten off of a transatlantic flight. And we just started, you know, playing with different things. And it wasn't until I pulled out a set of hair extensions that I brought for the test that it kind of felt like, oh, we found something. So we decided to take her to the salon and uh, apply tape and hair extensions rather than having to do it on a daily basis and clip <laughs> them in. Um, Carrie's hair is sort of on the fine side. It's got some volume and wave to it. And um, it was sort of a bit of a shoulder length bob that had just grown out. And um, so these hair extensions were 18 inch long hair. It was, you know, past her shoulders and it had a they had a natural wave. And I picked two tone hair extensions just to give a little bit of contrast in the hair. And um, I actually ended up putting what I'd say like 10 pounds of hair extensions, <laughs> but really two full sets of hair extensions in there so that she had 
a lot of hair. <laughs> I loved her with all that hair, Dan. And then we and then we cut it to shape and whatever. But that was her basically establishing look and everything that you would consider after, except for the final scene with the wig, um, were variations on a theme. So hmm. it was kind of a starting point that she could go to the left or to the right of, you know? So did you guys, uh, when you were trying to create this more innocent look, did you guys try to give any hints to what she was like back in uh, medical school? Um, was there any way you, because we don't know that much about her on the page. Was there anything you put into her appearance that kind of you consulted with Emerald to say, aha, this is going to be a hint to who she was in terms of her makeup and how her hair looks? Um, I can't say that I did that. I have to, I, just, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll just, I'm very honest. I would say that literally the thing for me was definitely making sure that there was a separation between normal coffee shop Cassie and you know Cassie out on the on her hits that's what I called them her hits when she would go out right. and, and do those at night um my feeling was though that it you know she she wasn't the type of girl to be you know high glam she wasn't a girl who was going to get up and spend you know 40 minutes doing her makeup in the morning um that just wasn't her personality even before um, it didn't strike me that she was a girly, 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 you know, she just didn't feel that way. So I don't even think she was that way before the event happened that changed yeah. her. So you were mentioning, obviously, the hits. And um, one of the things that stood out to me most was how, uh, Angie, you made her eyes pop during those scenes. So uh, tell me a little bit about the eyes and just kind of her general look when she's going out on her hits. Um, the eyes, it's funny. It, it, I'm glad that, that you picked up on that. The eyes and the lips were like the most important part I felt for me um, because, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul and then the mouth sort of is, uh, you know, those are the two places that people focus most when they, when they look at you. They're looking at your eyes and they're looking at your mouth. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that, you know, for, for Carrie, a lot of the times, for instance, when that, when you first see her sit up in the, my first, my favorite, favorite time when you, she scares you is when she <laughs> sits up in the bed and she says, what are you doing? I wanted that to be scary. Um, so what I did, you know, Emerald said, I want to have that uh, sort of smeared and smudgy and, and, and looking a mess around the eyes. And so we, I wanted a very kind of a dark, a, a bit frightening effect for that. So we played that, you know, with the smudgy and, and messy mascara, which was, as I said, a, a request from Emerald. And then I think the other, uh, when she goes to the, to the bar and she does that, that very sort of, I call it the homemade Kardashian look. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I used a double eyelash on the top because I knew that would really pump the eye up. And, right. you know, a lot of contour in the crease of her eye to kind of bring definition to the eye. Um, for the, what I call the goth look, which is the one that's my, it's like that Joker-esque. Um, yeah. 
Yes. Uh, she smears like the side of her mouth. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what I wanted to reflect, because by the time we had gotten to that point in the story, I mean, she's starting to spiral down, you know, mm -hmm. it's really starting to get darker at that point. And what I did with that eyeliner was, I don't know if you notice, well, if you take a look at it, it's, I pulled it down on the outer corner of her eye before I went up with that sort of wingtip, which gives a downward turn to the, the eye and kind of gives a sad look, a subtle mm. sad look. Um, so I, I played that as part of that, okay, she's sort of, she's, she's spiraling down and we want this sort of Joker-esque tears of a clown kind of a, a look. So that was a, a major part in drawing the eyeliner that way, I had a specific vision for that and it did do exactly what I expected it to do. And then my favorite eye look for her was, of course, the nurse because her yes. eyes look gigantic, right? Mm -hmm. They're huge in that scene. And one of the, you know, the things that, the tricks that I used with that, when I placed the eyeliner underneath her eye, I actually went quite a bit away. There's quite a bit of distance between the actual place where her, the bottom of her lid starts and where I put the eyeliner. And then I drew a, like a whitish or a flesh tone uh, liner inside of that, which gives the illusion of increasing the size of the white of the eye. So that's how you got that effect. And then I placed an, a lower, a fake lash in that same line where I drew beneath her eye to actually make it look like her lashes started lower than they did. So it, it actually creates the illusion of her eye being much bigger than it is. Well, that, I mean, that look obviously is the iconic look of the film and it's, it's nothing without that, that candy colored hair. So uh, Daniel, why don't you tell me about that wig? Well, um, so, you know, everything that we designed for this movie were things that, you know, were presented to Emerald and choices were given. And when when it was evident that we were going for a costume look and not a variation of, you know, Cassandra's blonde hair, I pulled mm -hmm. um, a bunch of different costume wigs, some that I had in kit and some, you know, the sexy this and the sexy that kind of thing. And Emerald kept going back to the rainbow wig, um, which actually just came in a one length bob. And uh, one of the signature things for um, Cassandra's uh, look were the heavy fringe bang, you know, the fringe uh, hair uh, framing her face based on sort of a Bridget Bardot reference that we had liked in our in our meet and greet and all that. And so mm -hmm. I found another wig with the rainbow colors that had the bang, but it didn't quite have the same density and the curl in the same way that the stripes were on the other wig. So we ended up cutting the top off of one wig and marrying it to the other wig and coming up with this one wig that she wears in the finale. And, um, it, you know, and it was, it was a, a leap of faith for Emerald also because she liked it, 
but dare I do that? And so I kind of was very encouraging. Let's just go for it. You know, like, is it, will it be, oh my God. And you know, there was so much hesitation to it that finally when we went for it, it all really came together. One of the interesting things about that look, um, for me was that once we married the two weeks together and we put him on Carrie and we were talking about the length, you know, Carrie really wanted it to have that specific length, you know? So um, it Mm -hmm. was really interesting because for most of the times I'd asked for her advice on subtle nuances on hairstyles, she would always defer to Emerald's vision, you know, well, what does Emerald want? And in this case, you really insisted on this length. And I thought it was an interesting way that she subversively inserted herself into that character, you know? And then cutting it was quite an ordeal because that plastic hair is not easy to cut. And I went through 10 razor blades and I finally took paper scissors (laughs) to it and just gave it that really choppy look, which gave it a homespun quality in a way that, you know, she cobbled this costume together. She didn't go to a store and buy it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And then we enhanced the style a bit. So, Yeah. Okay, and then um, the last area is the blowjob lips, both the the video she watches and the lips she went with. Um, I I guess that's Angie's area. (laughs) That's a weird way to phrase that, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I understand what you mean. That's funny. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's the... um, Oh, sorry. Now I've got to recover from my laugh. <laughs> that was, you know, Emerald wanted to do that video where, you know, she does the little clip and, and, and Carrie's or Cassie is watching Emerald getting the lesson and sort of, um, and the lipstick uh, that was chosen, I, I, it wasn't really my original color, but it, that I thought of. But it worked. I ended up going with a darker color than I had suspected, that I had planned on using. Um, I guess the only thing I can say was that, you know, we we did a lot of drawing lip liner outside of Carrie's normal lip line mm-hmm. so that we could make the lips appear fuller. And that's always part of the the trick with the 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 BJ lip um, <laughs> is that it's um it's drawn, it's, it's the liner is drawn outside of the natural lip line so that the lips look bigger than they are. Um, a lot of times you'll, you know, go with a color that uh, is glossier, but for what we needed for that scene, we couldn't use a glossy look. It wouldn't have worked as well. Right. Um, so you know, we went with the more creamy color. But yeah, we just, the, the, the key is always drawing outside of the natural lip mod. And then um, I want to just, for anyone listening, mention, obviously there's a spoiler warning here. So if you haven't seen the film yet, I would stop listening now. But um, Angie, there are some striking shots of Carrie's hand at the end of the film that are very do a lot of storytelling for uh well you know what this is i've already given the spoiler warning once she's dead your her hands look very dead and then subsequently burnt how did you do that she's missing a hand you know she's going around without 
yeah yeah it's just like an actual severed like decomposing hand perfect it was the it was the snuff film. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually carrie going on like fyc zoom campaigns right this is this is someone you got to cover this up i knew it. hologram oh. so how did you get that because that, that was a really disturbing looking hand where you just see these glimpses of it if i recall i have to tell you sometimes some things after a while start to run together sure um if I recall, we just did some light things on her hand, and then I believe there was a prop hand. Ah, okay. Yes. So um, that would make more sense. I can't say that I did all the grossness. Okay. <laughs> um, when you when when she's in the bed, when they first discover her, we did put you know what they call lividity when your your blood sort of settles. When you die, it kind of pulls in whatever position mm-hmm. and it goes to the bottom of the body. But that was, uh, you know, and some little just effects of redness and things from the struggle. But um, yeah, the actual probably nasty, nasty hand, you know, we didn't do that. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, th- this this is a fantastic makeup job, and uh, love the film, of oh, course. Uh, I I suspect next Halloween, God willing, if uh, we have a vaccine, we're back to normal. You're going to see a lot of Nurse Cassandras. That's what that was. Every what everybody says, and that's what we kept saying over and over in the trailer. Yeah, like <laughs> see this one again. That's yeah. for sure. Oh uh, yeah, it, it's an iconic look. Yeah. Well, before you before you go, I wanted to speak to you a little bit about your question about what hints of Cassandra you saw prior. You know, from Cassandra. Yes. So one of the things that the long hair did for us you know, having that extra long hair is it gave her that little girl quality. Like you could imagine her having that sort of hairstyle Mm -hmm. all along from college. And it had a very sort of stunted, gross feeling about it because it's just sort of naturally dried hair and that kind of thing, you know? But I think the, the one, the few times that you actually see Cassandra as she really is at that time are the moments at home in her bed. Oh, that's really those are the moments when you can really see through all of the facade of whatever, whoever she pretends to be at the coffee shop or, you know, out at the bar. That's a fantastic answer to that. So thank you. Well, guys, thank you so much. And uh, I hope I'm hoping the film crushes it in Oscar season this year. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the next best picture team's behind the scenes interviews with The crew of Promising Young Woman. Promising Young Woman is up for your consideration in all eligible Oscar categories, including Best Original Screenplay, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Picture of the Year. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.